Good morning and welcome to Waterstone. My name is Emily and I'm the communications director here. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning. If you are with your family, kiddos, we have some resources available for you. If you go to our live stream page and click on Kids Worship, there's both a lesson and a video that our kids team has put together for you. If you're new to Waterstone, we're so glad that you decided to join us today. You can fill out an info card uh, by texting new WCC to the number 31996. Uh, you can also access the info card if you go to our live stream page and click on that button. We will have a Zoom call available right after the service. You can meet some of our pastoral team and ask any questions uh, or hear a little bit more about Waterstone at that time. For every info card that we receive, we will be donating $10 to Denver's Open Door Ministry. They are an organization that is helping the most vulnerable in our community. We've all been invited at some point here to Waterstone and we encourage you to keep inviting. It's easy to do, you can click the share button on Facebook and post it to your uh, feed or you can grab our website link and text it to your friends and neighbors. Today, we also have the opportunity to celebrate some people who have just finished their Stephen Ministry training. Stephen Ministers offer one-on-one -on -one Christian care to people who are in a difficult season of life. And so we are excited that they have finished this uh, training. It's over 50 hours worth of work. Um, and we are going to be joining Larry on Zoom and we can celebrate them together. Welcome Waterstone and thanks for joining us uh, from home. We really wish that we could see you today, but we're excited that you're joining us online. My name is Paul Joslin and I am the teaching pastor here at Waterstone. And I'm really excited to share with you today uh, some thoughts on the theology of work. Uh, but before we begin with that, I just need to name that a 25 minute discussion about the theology of work is actually more likely gonna cause a lot of, of questions and further wondering um, than to actually answer things you might have. And so if you would like to hear more about this conversation, I would encourage you to come back on Wednesday night at seven o'clock to our midweek connection. I'll be interviewing Brian Gray, the COO of Denver Institute for Faith and Work. And Brian is brilliant. He's a deep lover of Jesus. Uh, and he is someone who has committed his life to helping people find fulfillment in the workplace uh, and combining that with faith. So it's gonna be a really great interview. And again, if today, if it doesn't quite scratch the itch or if it leaves you uh, with more questions than answers, I would encourage you to come back and join us on Wednesday night. I'd also like to say that I recognize what a unique time this is to be discussing faith and work. I mean, we're all aware that work has drastically shifted in the last several months. And not only do we have people who are trying to figure out how to be productive uh, from the comfort of their own home or be productive as parents and as workers, we also are, are really aware that there are a number of people, in fact, 30 million people in our country who have become unemployed. And we're very aware of the fact that, that many of those are in our church. And not only that, but we're aware of the fact that we have many people who are at the other end of the spectrum too, people who are in charge of small businesses and companies and trying to navigate how to find payroll protection and how to, to keep people employed and how to adjust salaries so that they don't have to let people go. And it's just a really unique time uh, and more challenging than work often is, uh, which is saying something because work can often be complicated and challenging. So we would just like to take a moment to actually pray for all of those who have been 
been affected by this crisis, specifically in regards to their workplace. And so we're just gonna take some time to pray for those who have become unemployed, those who are running businesses uh, that are struggling, those who are trying to navigate all of the challenges of work in this season. So if you would, uh, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, come before you uh, humbly asking for your intervention. God, we know that on our best days, work is complicated, it's challenging, it's difficult, it's frustrating. But particularly in this season, God, we know that there are many people who are hurting specifically in regards to their work in situation in ways that we've never really experienced before. So Father, first, I'd like to pray for comfort for those who have lost their job. We know that unemployment can carry with it a deep sense of shame, a sense of longing. It can cause tension in relationships and worry about the future. So Father, we pray for those who have been um, who have, who have become unemployed in this season. Father, we ask that, that you would help them find work and um, provision, that you would help them be able to, to maintain uh, payments on, on the, their houses and that they would be able to continue to keep kids fed. Father, we just pray uh, for your church to come around those people. We also pray for wisdom, Father, for those who are leading small businesses and who are, who are making decisions about navigating this challenge and this crisis, that you would give them wisdom, uh, that you would give them grace. And Father, ultimately that, that the decisions they make uh, would be honoring to you and to their employees and the people uh, that they work with. So we lift them up to you in this time as we begin this conversation on work and its meaning and its value. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for praying with us. You know, a few years ago, I began to get a reputation at Waterstone as someone who was prone to, to getting injured. Uh, and it was actually specifically because I kept getting injured on the job. It was back when I was a youth pastor here at the church. And I kind of chalked the whole thing up to trying to keep up with students who were half my age. But I just kept getting injured again and again and again. In fact, I, I think I still have this claim to fame that I am the only employee of Waterstone to ever have to use workman's comp. Um, that's a true story. But there's multiple times that I just got injured on the job trying to keep up with these students. So there was a time that I was playing capture the flag over at Clement Park. It was in January. It had just snowed. I was running full sprint trying to free someone from jail. I hit a patch of ice, slipped, landed hard on my back and broke my collarbone. Work can be painful sometimes. And not only that, a few months later, I'd recovered from the, the collarbone injury and I was here at the church with kids at a retreat and we were playing tag and running around the building late at night at one of those lock-ins that caused me to decide I needed to retire from youth ministry. And as I was chasing students, uh, I ran full tilt into one of the cabinets full of books upstairs and I banged my knee on the ground and I bruised what's called my bursa sac in my knee. And I, I kid you not, four or five years later, I still have fluid buildup in my knee. I haven't fully recovered from that injury. Work can be really painful. My guess is I'm not alone. My guess is that, that even if you're not as injury prone as a running back, that your work is actually quite painful too. And probably not in ways that we can all laugh at, like me getting injured. 
You know, my guess is that, that your work is painful because you have computers crash at deadlines, because you have bosses who are angry and unjust. You have coworkers who are petty and unethical. Well, I'm sure at your workplace, maybe you feel like you're underemployed and you feel like you are capable of doing so much more than your job actually requires of you. And my guess is that, that your work is painful because you long for significance and to do something that matters. And, and at the end of your day, sometimes it's hard to know whether or not your work made any difference at all. You see, work can be painful. And when you look at it on a broader perspective, we can just look at the fact that, that work on a global scale can be quite challenging and painful. In fact, in, just in my lifetime, the, the global economy has crashed to various levels three different times. And unemployment goes up and it goes down and we have challenges that we face in regards to work every single day, both within our job and on a global scale. Challenges that we have to overcome. And we talked earlier about, about downsizing and furlough and laying people off. I mean, there's so many challenges that make work a painful reality in our lives. In fact, I think one of the, the most painful things about work for me right now is that my eyes get sore after too many Zoom calls on certain days, right? Work is painful. And my guess is even if you are in your dream job, the job that you love, the job that finds so much satisfaction in and that, that you know you were created to do, that there are still days where work is painful. You see, but that's something that Ecclesiastes actually validates, this idea that work is painful. In fact, it, it profoundly addresses the issue of the pain of work. And I would love for you to follow along as it transparently talks about the pain we experience in work. So Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all of my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving which, with which they labor under the sun? All their day's work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. You see, Ecclesiastes, the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, wholeheartedly affirms the pain that we experience in work, the pain that we experience in the workplace, in our jobs, in our careers. He calls the, that work is, is grief, work is pain, that even when we're off of work and we're resting at night, we have restless sleep because of our work that we don't know the future of our work and we can toil our whole lives trying to achieve certain things and then just give it to someone else with no control over how they will use it. And to make matters worse, at times, our work can feel empty and meaningless, which he names again and again and again. 
Now, what's fascinating about work is that it is, it's so complicated and it's so challenging at times. And, and this idea of work as pain and work as emptiness and work as meaningless, it can feel like work is actually a curse to us. It, it can feel like that, that, that work is some sort of punishment. And in fact, sometimes I think we're under the misconception that work is a curse because of the fall. And we have this idea in our heads that work actually came after the fall, that everything was perfect and we just got to enjoy life and everything was the way it was supposed to be. And then in the story of creation, we choose to rebel against God, everything falls apart and then we are cursed to start working. But that's not actually the story of scripture at all. In fact, the story of scripture is that work precedes the fall. In fact, the story that the Bible tells in regards to our work is that it is actually a gift. It is actually something that we were created for and intended to find purpose and fulfillment in. And it's because of the curse that our work looks empty and meaningless, that our work is so challenging and difficult and painful. But it's not actually the way it was originally intended to be. And believe it or not, the story of scripture is actually that work doesn't have to remain that way. Work does not have to remain as pain. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, as, as much as the teacher says work is meaningless and, and is challenging and hard and pain, he actually goes on to say that work has intrinsic value and that work is actually a gift of God. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 3, 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. And I know that everything God does will endure forever and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. And God does it so that people will fear him. You see, while work can look like a curse and work can feel empty and meaningless, the story of scripture is actually that there is deep value in our work and that work actually is a gift from God that can be redeemed from all of the pain and brokenness that we experience in our work. And the challenge is, how do we redeem that? How do we redeem work to a place where it has meaning, it has value for our lives, that it actually contributes to, to our satisfaction in life rather than being a detractor? Well, I think there's actually three key things in the passage we just read about how work can be redeemed. And the, the three things are this. I think in this passage, we see that work actually shows us that we were created for eternal um, significance and that in eternal significance, we can actually find that in our work. I think this passage also shows us that, that work is not just eternal significance, but it's actually a, a venue and avenue for us to contribute to the common good. And that adds purpose and value and redemption to our work. And then finally, I think in this passage, it, it shows us that work is actually a means through which we can worship God. So those are the three things that we're going to be focusing on a little bit today. That, that work shows us we were created for eternal significance. That work is a way we can contribute to the common good. And work is a means through which we can worship God. So first, work as eternal significance. 
Now, I think in my own life, one of the most painful things about work is the feeling that work is empty. I mean, have you ever finished a day's work and as you got in your car to go home, you're just haunted by the question, did what I do today actually matter? Did what I do today make a difference? Was there any significance to my work at all? And I think that's an important question for us to answer. I think it's really important actually, because when you look at our life, we spend almost one third of our life at work. Roughly 90,000 hours of our life is spent in the workplace. And if that doesn't have significance or value, if it's meaningless, that is a lot of wasted time. And so we have to wrestle with this question, does our work actually have significance? Does our work actually have the eternal significance we are looking for? And I think the answer from scripture all throughout the story of scripture is yes, it does have meaning and value. We were created for eternal significance. We were created through, and we see that in our work. And we see that in verse 11, when the teacher says, God has placed eternity on every human heart. One of the clearest ways that we see this demonstration that we are created for eternal significance is the idea that in our work, we want to have a lasting impact. In our work, we want to have significance. Now, one of the challenges that I think that produces for us, especially particularly for Christians, is that we have trouble answering that question of whether or not our work has eternal significance because we've divided work into this idea of sacred and secular. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, we believe, most of us, I think, are, are under the impression that, that sacred work has eternal significance. And we would define sacred work as, as being a pastor or a missionary, or working at a nonprofit organization. Those are our jobs and, and careers that have eternal significance. But being a plumber, or a painter, or a carpenter, or an accountant, or a lawyer, or a teacher, or a lab technician, all of those things, they're secular work. And they don't actually have much significance at all. They don't have eternal significance. In fact, the only significance they might have under our assumption is that they help pay for the people who do the full-time Christian work or that they're a field for us to, to, to evangelize and to share the gospel. You see, we see our work as sacred and secular. But I think the truth of scripture the truth of scripture is that all work is sacred, that all work has the potential for eternal significance. You see, think about for a moment, the last time that we were all gathered together worshiping. And have you ever had a moment when you were worshiping and, and you look across the room and you see someone else and, and you begin to lust after them while you're worshiping? Or maybe you're sitting there listening to the sermon when we're all gathered together for worship and the person in front of you has their phone out. And so you begin to judge them. Or, or, or have you ever greeted someone at church with, with a smile on your face, but with bitterness in your heart against that person? See, those are all things we would consider sacred. And yet when done with a rotten heart, they're the furthest thing from. Now, I'd like you to imagine being at your job on a Monday morning 
and, and you just, you hit the zone. You hit that space where everything is clicking, where your creativity, your skill set, the purpose that you have in life is all aligning just perfectly to where you feel like you are contributing, you are making a difference and things are working well in your workplace. In fact, so well that you just begin to experience God's presence in a way that you haven't before. You feel his pleasure in your work. Which do you think God would consider sacred? The worship with a rotten heart or the work done for his glory? You see, we divide things into sacred and secular, but, but those are not categories that scripture identifies with. In fact, scripture says everything has the potential to be sacred. It's just a matter of motivation. It's just a matter of how we choose to engage with those things. And I think beyond that, there are many different places where you could look in scripture to show you that our work, the, the, the most mundane work, actually has eternal significance. And I think the clearest of those is actually in Revelation 21. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. In Revelation 21, we get a picture of the earth being refined and remade into the new heavens and the new earth. It's a picture of us as humanity that's been redeemed, getting to go back to the garden where we're in connection and, and union with God and communion with him and relationship with him the way it was originally intended to be. But what's fascinating about the new garden from heaven that descends on earth as earth is remade is that this new place actually has a city in the middle of the garden. And most theologians would agree that what scripture is painting a picture of is that, that we don't just go back to the garden as it originally was, but that what we have done here in this world, in this life, through our work to cause human flourishing and to cause the advancement of society is actually carried over into eternity. And that the work we do here actually matters and has value. It's a beautiful picture that should fill you with hope that the work you do right now is brimming with potential for eternal significance because it can carry over into the eternity we will one day enjoy. Now, beyond that, if you're still thinking, Paul, that's great, but I'm just thinking about my job and I don't know how balancing the spreadsheet actually has any sense of eternal significance at all. I would just like to remind you that our savior, Jesus Christ, when he came 2000 years ago, he was a carpenter and he walked the earth for, for some odd 30 years. About three of those were full-time ministry, what we would conditionally, traditionally call Christian work. The rest of that time, he was a, a laborer working with his hands, making tables and chairs. You see, and I, I just have to wonder if Jesus came again today, if he came 2,000 years later, my guess is that he would not have my job. My guess is that he is more likely to have your job. And my guess is that, that his work would look very similar to yours. And I think that's really important for us to understand because Jesus' work as a carpenter, as a laborer, did not at all hinder his ability to participate in God's kingdom or God's mission and neither does it hinder you. And in fact, I would actually go so far as to say that Christ's work 
of making tables carries with it as much eternal significance as the healings he performed for others. Because both are full of eternal significance, of value, of restoring creation to the way it was originally intended to be, pushing back the darkness. And so when we see Christ's life and that the majority of his time was, was in, in secular work, we have to see that, that he didn't waste his life. Your work matters because God has said it matters and he's declared it good and a gift. I think beyond that, not only does work provide us with a, a weight of eternal significance, but work is also overflowing with the potential to help others and to contribute to the common good, to serve other people. You know, our work, I think, was originally designed for the benefit of others. It wasn't just designed for our own benefit or that we could feel good about ourselves at the end of the day because what we did had eternal significance or lasting impact. I think actually what we see in work is that beyond that, it is also designed to help and serve other people. Now that's a challenge in our cultural context in this moment, because I think so many times work in our culture is not about social benefit, but about economic profit. See, so many times our work is actually designed for self-interest. It's all about profit. It's all about margins. It's all about self-interest. It's about pursuing your own fame and success and fortune. But I think that's a distortion of what work was originally intended to be. You see, I think we were actually created to contribute to the common good. I think work is one of the main ways that we do that. Work is not just about profit. Work is actually about benefiting others. It's not just about self-advancement, but the advancement of others. And I think you see that in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes, where the teacher says that, that he's observed the, all of earth under the sun. And that one of the things that he thinks there's nothing better to do than is to do good for others, to do good for others, to contribute to the common good. Now, there's a story about a CEO. His, his name was uh, Je Jonathan Schwartz and he ran the Timberland company. And Timberland is interesting because as a company, they, they have a high value, not just for good products in the marketplace, not just quality, but they also have a really high value for caring for their workers and for the culture that they build for their employees. And one time he was, he was asked in an interview, how do you maintain those two, two values? How do you maintain profitability and culture that values people? And he said this, he said, in order to equip people to make a difference in their world, we must insist that doing well and doing good not be different. You see, profit and benefit don't have to be mutually exclusive, though a lot of our corporate models would tell us otherwise. The question is, how do we contribute to the common good? How do we use our work to contribute and, and help others? How do we use our work in God's plan for redemption and restoration? Well, I think there's actually four key ways that I would pinpoint. There's probably a lot more, but I think these four are really central to our understanding of how work can be used for the common good. And the first is this. I think evangelism, we talked about it earlier. While work is not solely about evangelism, it is also a place that is, is full of potential for sharing your faith and for making disciples. 
I would also say that ethics, what we would look like, I'm sorry, what would our world look like if instead of seeing the workplace as, a, as an amoral or an immoral place, we saw our workplace as, a, as an opportunity to disciple people more into the likeness of God through ethical practices? What if we transformed that culture rather than just throwing our hands up and saying it's full of corruption? I think excellence is another way that we can contribute to the common good. I mean, we have a world that is full of plastic and shallowness that is begging for people to give them quality and excellence. And if we as Christians bear the image of Christ, if we as Christians are his representatives in the workplace, how could we not give our best effort? How could we not dedicate ourselves to excellence in whatever it is that we're doing in order to contribute to the common good? And then beyond that, I think the people of God, when, when we are working towards the common good, we have this idea of exchange on our minds. You see, we are a people that, that as we cultivate and create culture and refine culture and challenge culture, that our purpose in that is to bring about God's redemptive process, to exchange this broken world for the world to come, to exchange the fallenness of wor this world for the kingdom of God. And so we can contribute to the common good through the, those four things. Martin Luther once said, God does not need our good works. Our neighbor does. There is no better way to love your neighbor than committing to them the common good, to, 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 to focusing on helping people through evangelism and ethics and excellence and exchange to help them see who God is and who he has created them to be and to lift our society and our culture to the place where it more resembles what God desires from us. And I think a question that we should ask ourselves when it comes to work is this, how can work become an avenue for you to see God's redemption come to fruition in the world? How can God use you in your workplace to bring about the common good? So, Work is a place that we find eternal significance. It's also a place that we can contribute to the common good. And beyond that, work is a place where we can learn to worship our creator. I think you see that in verse 14, where it says everything that God does lasts for eternity. And he, and he does this so that, that we will fear and worship him. That as we go about living, we will fear and worship God. We are created for worship. Now, I think what's fascinating about this is I think in most of our minds, we think Sunday is the day of worship. Maybe Saturday if you attend our Saturday night service, but most of us would think that Sunday is for worship. And I would put forward to you that I actually think there's just as much potential to worship God Monday through Friday as there is on Sunday. That when you go to work every day, even the most mundane task can be an act of worship to God. You know, I think that's, that's demonstrated in a story I heard one time about a, a couple of stone workers and they were building a house and a stranger came by these three stone workers and asked, what are you guys doing? And one of them said, I'm, I'm laying stone, I'm laying brick. And the other said, well, I'm making a living. And the third said, I am building a cathedral to God and man. You see, whether or not our work is seen as worship is just a matter of perspective. Every aspect of our work can be worship to God. 
It can be an act of worship. I think also, I think of a time where I heard of a barista um, from a friend that they, they worked in a coffee shop and they just got so overwhelmed by the mundane nature of passing lattes to people day after day after day. That as an act of worship, they began signing people's names as they would order their coffee in beautiful calligraphy. As a reminder that making this latte is an act of worship to God. Even the most mundane tasks that are put before us in our workplace can actually be a place of worship to God. I think that that shifts our view in really profound ways. Because if we see the things in our job as an opportunity to worship our creator, as an opportunity to use our unique gifts and talents for his glory, I mean, it takes the ordinary and puts the extraordinary in its place. And I think it adds so much value to what we do. Now, the challenge is, I think many of us feel in our day-to-day jobs enslaved by our jobs. I think we feel like it is just a task we have to get through. It's just something we have to do to get by. I think we oftentimes feel like the, the work we do because it doesn't have significance or it's not what we want to do, that, that it's just this oppressor over us. And yet I think the story of scripture is that God actually wants us to, to be enlivened by our work. That, that work does not just have to enslave us. It can actually enliven our lives. But I think the, the key question about that, though, is who are you working for? The key question to determining whether or not work feels like enslavement or an enlivening venture is who you are working for. See, so many times in our lives, I think work becomes self-focus, self-interest. It becomes about, about our own worship, about our own praise, doing a job so well that everyone will acknowledge what a great person we are, acknowledging how well we did at it. I think we can use work, at, work to, to pursue fame and fortune and success and all the things that we worship that we think will provide fulfillment for our lives. And when we do that, work becomes an idol. We begin worshiping ourselves and worshiping work instead of worshiping God. And I believe it enslaves us. But work was intended to enliven us. And I believe that that if we have this theological framework, these three different aspects of understanding that that in work, we we understand we were created for eternal significance. And in work, we have an opportunity to contribute to the common good. And in worship, every act that we do in work can become worship. We will actually begin to come alive more in our workplaces. We will actually begin to find some of the significance that we're hoping for, looking for, and longing for. But let's be real. Even if you have those three frameworks, even if you're at your dream job and everything feels like it's going awesome, there are still going to be days where work is pain, where work does not live up to all that it was supposed to be. There are still days where computers crash at deadlines, where bosses are angry and unjust, where, where coworkers are unethical and petty. There's still days where the, the market crashes, where the economy tanks. There's still days where our eyes are sore after Zoom sessions. And so we have to have this realistic hope about our workplace and this understanding that, that 
even if we have the correct approach to work, and even if we understand the significance that God has given our work, it's still likely that this side of heaven, it will not be all that we hoped and intended it to be. And so we have to wrestle with that tension between those three paradigms and the reality that our world is still fallen and how to find significance and meaning in the midst of that, how to contribute to the common good, how to worship God in a fallen world with our work. But I think the last thing that I would say is this. I would make the argument that, that one of the reasons so many people are so dissatisfied with their jobs. I mean, statistics are showing now that by the time people turn 30, they are typically trying between seven and eight jobs, searching for some semblance of satisfaction. And in fact, most studies show that 80% of the workforce is dissatisfied with their work. When we are a people who are spending most of our life doing something that does not satisfy us. And my argument is, is that, that the reason for that is because we do not understand what work was intended for. We do not understand that when work is about eternal significance, when it's about the common good, and when it's about worshiping God, work can actually bring the satisfaction that we're hoping for. Maybe not fully, but better than we have right now. And so that would be my challenge to you. Where can you look through those three lenses at your work to see its value and its significance? But I think there's one final thing that needs to be said about our work. And that's this. I, I think I find this in myself, that some of us, we think work is the way that we will justify our existence. Some of us are under the impression that it is what we do or produce that, that gives us value or meaning. Some of us are under the assumption that it is how effective or successful we are in the workplace that allows us to have any significance at all. See, some of us are under the impression that our work is a way for us to validate that we are not a waste of space. Some of us believe that through work, we can actually justify that we are not worthless. And what I would say to you is that some of us need to be set free. Some of us need to be set free from that assumption that, that your work justifies your existence. We need to be set free from the idea that it is what we produce that gives us value and worth. We need to be set free from the ideas that it is all about the profit and success that we can have in this life that validate our reason for being here. Some of us are exhausting ourselves, pursuing work, hoping that it'll fulfill those things, that it'll find the worth and the, and the, the significance and the value that we are so desperately longing for, that we will finally get the, the approval of God and of others based on what we can produce. But the beauty of scripture is that your existence is not justified by what you do but justified by what Christ has done. That the work you do 
does not justify your existence, that the work you do does not give you value or worth. It is not through your work that you are healed. It is through Christ's work that you can be healed and redeemed. And it is through Christ's work that we know our immeasurable value and work, that we are not just a cog in the global economy with a meaningless existence and a meaningless life, but through Christ have eternal purpose and value based on his work and not ours. And so my hope is, as you go into this week of work, is that you could cease from the striving, cease from the the desire to prove yourself to everyone through what you can accomplish and that you would rest on the beauty of what Christ has accomplished for you. And now let's take a moment and praise God for the work he has done through Christ, knowing that it is nothing we could do ourselves. We are so glad that you joined us today. It is really good to worship together. As we go into this next week, we have a couple of opportunities ahead of us. The first one is that we have an opportunity to bless St. Joe's Hospital. They have patients who are isolated and not permitted to have visitors during this time. And the staff has requested that we could collect coloring books and colored pencils for adults. So if you would collect um, or purchase some new books and pencils, you can bring them to Waterstone on Thursday between 12 and 4 p.m., which is our food pantry collection hours, and you can drop them off. We would love to support St. Joe's in this way. We are so grateful for your generosity. Uh, God's hand has really been on Waterstone during this season. We have been able to support local ministries, uh, both stock and run our own food pantry, uh, as well as just help individuals who find themselves in the in-between. We would love to continue supporting these efforts and ask that you uh, be a part of them. So you can text to give to 720-330-4810, or you can give online at waterstonechurch.org slash give. If you are new to Waterstone, thank you for joining us. Go ahead and fill out an info card on our live stream page and join us on our Zoom call here in just a few minutes and you can say hi um, and meet some of our pastoral staff. I'd like to leave us today with a benediction and a prayer. It comes from the book of 2 Corinthians um, and it's chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Have a great week.